Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Thank y'all so much for listening today. This is Kiese Lehman. I'm a writer and teacher at University of Mississippi, and I am lucky, 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 lucky to be talking to Chanel Benz today. Chanel, how you doing? I am tired, but I'm good. Just, Glad to be here. Chanel just walked, um, what, half a mile, mile <laughs> in the hot sun yeah. at the Mississippi uh, Writers, what is it, Mississippi Literary Conference? What's it called? Literary Festival, book, book Festival, Book Festival. So, um, you did all the walking, but I'm the sweaty one. So. <laughs> oh, I'm sweating. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about a lot of things, um, but I wonder if we could start talking about names. I love mm. Billy James. Can you talk about where that name came from? Yeah. In fact, it took three tries to get her name. Like, usually I'm a writer who the title or the name comes right away, yeah. but I just could not get her. But that's kind of true of her voice. Like, she's the character that took me the longest to get. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I, I say really because she's so <laughs> central to the book. Well, I think it wasn't until I started really writing the other characters and yeah. I decided that it was going to be third person and I had them talking about her. And, and yeah. I was like, oh, this is who she is. Yeah. But for a while, and I think also I was holding back because I don't usually write characters who are closer to me. Right. In like age and, you know, being, uh, having a black father and a white yeah. mother. Like there's a lot of differences, but that's similar and also writing in close third Mm -hmm. is not something i've done a lot um so i think i was really kind of holding back and being careful Mm -hmm. for a while and then just the the subject matter and was it all and so was there an impetus at all ever to try to do it in first because there's some identity markers that are close to your actual identity markers uh I started doing it in first just because that's what I was used to. Right. But not because she was close to me, just because um, I I write in first more often. Yeah. Uh, but her first name was Addison. Oh, wow. And that was not working. And Addison then, James? Uh, yeah, I think I still had that last name. Uh-huh. And then um, that wasn't really working. But Addison's like, a you know, coming out of the civil rights era, that's yep. like a typical name. Um, yep. And then I tried Angelina, which didn't work at all. And then Billy, I was thinking about her father naming her and thinking about, you know, um, thinking about Billy Holiday mm-hmm. and thinking about he would want just how ha- and the, her mom wanting a name that was sort of like, you know, could be genderless. Gender fluid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That they would find that as kind of freeing. Right. You know, and um, and James, you know, it was either going to be James or King. I just like Ooh, something about that. Right. Felt right. really amazing. And the book, for those of you who might not know, is The Gone Dead. I was lucky enough to hear you read from this in Indiana. We were at the um, Indiana Writers Conference. It was my other book I was reading from, but it was a Mississippi story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. When I was so, you know, you I don't know if you've ever gone to those readings and you're just like, oh, man, I got to step my game up. <laughs> that's how I felt up in there. I was like... Have you been to those readings before? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, your readings. <laughs> oh, that's I was just like, what is this? Like, and when I say the what is this, this is going to sound corny, but I just felt like in the book, in the excerpt that you read at Indiana, um, 
there was what we see in the best of, I think, like I would call Deep South and Mississippi literature, which is, you know, like the, the Southern, like f- lower frequencies, mm-hmm. the voices, um, the details. And I want to talk about details in a second. But there was also you were just doing something that I had not heard or seen before. And one of the things I love to ask writers is like, did you th- did you think in The Gone Dead you were doing something that you had not seen? And was that important to you at all to try to do to not to try to do something like innovative because it feels innovative to me. But that doesn't mean that that was what you attempted to do or even that's what you feel about the work. I wanted to I mean, for me, every time I write something, I want to do something that I haven't done. Yeah. You know, and I hope that that's something that hasn't been done. But I think also like I hadn't really seen a book I don't know. This might sound really like uh, overconfident, but <laughs> let me tell you Just what I've do done it. that nobody's Just do done. It. Just do it. I hadn't really seen a book, read a book that kind of had the kind of um, the way that Cliff is a father, yeah, and the way that he talks about her, and the way that kind of across time they're sort of yearning for each other. Yeah, I hadn't really seen that before, and I wanted to do that. I hadn't really seen a book that engaged the Delta mm-hmm. in um, in the 70s or in this kind of like after period or this right. period where it, there's not much written or marked about it. Yeah. Um, where like the national attention, you know, retracts. And I also, you know, I brought in some of like the medieval stuff with her mother. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really seen a book that kind of like messed with genre in that way like right. just because it's a southern book not all the references are going to be yeah. like you know like i love that she was a medievalist like, yeah. i mean that's just like a great move because it because it can you can do so many things with it narratively throughout, yeah right yeah so i think in that way you know i i was trying a few different things and you know i've seen and also like um I've seen some characters like Melvin, uh-huh. but maybe not a black intellectual right it's too many not too many black intellectuals right. so right. yeah right and and I want to I don't I wanted to hold off on this question, but I I have a little self restraint when it comes to asking just what I want to ask. So, like, do you feel like this is a, a a story based in a journey home? Like that's one of the questions I still mm. ask myself by the end. Like, is this is this a home? Is this a journey back home story? And yeah, is it a, is it a, is it a journey home story? Yeah, I thought of it as the stranger returns home. The stranger returns. The stranger to that place returns yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how everybody kind of feels her. Right. But it is her home. She, she, but does she. It doesn't, no, it takes her a while to right. feel that. That's, that's, what, I, that's I mean? what I love about it. But I think there, I mean, obviously, like, it is, it is to me literally in her blood. You know what I mean? Literally. So there is, yeah. Right. Like, her, her family's blood is in that ground in yeah. so many ways. And I think also, in Cliff's narrative, her father, he goes back home. Definitely. You know what I mean? And yeah. he, I mean, he's very conscious of that. He comes back home for a reason. He comes back to be a change maker. Right. But she's not aware that that's, that that's kind of happening. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a journey home. And, and writing it in some ways felt like a journey. I mean, for me, it was a journey toward my own blackness. Mm-hmm. And, and a journey to, toward your own blackness from where? From, um, I guess, from being an outsider, uh-huh. you know. Um, 
Because you were born in... Well, I was born in, <laughs> as we were said, <laughs> yeah. I was born in London, and, um, you know, race is not, is different there. Right. Class is more pro- more obvious, more primary. Definitely race is a problem and has its own history, different than our history, um, because of their relationship to slavery. They kind of outsourced it to the Caribbean. Right. Um, and they uh, banned, they made slavery illegal a lot earlier. But... Um, you know, I didn't, when I came to America, I was seven, I didn't know I was anything. No one had ever said anything to me, ever. And it wasn't until I was playing with, like, a step cousin that I had that he kind of whispered to me, my cousin Jenny says that you're black. Wow. Where were you? In New Jersey. Uh-huh. And he says, your father's black. Now, my father, you know, I he had lost custody, so I wasn't, I was with my mother, and I didn't know what black was, let alone if he was black. So I had to go and ask my mom. But what I thought was important in retrospect is that what got communicated to me was that that was something bad and something dirty and something wow. you didn't want to be. Wow. Um, and I asked my mom, and she was, you know, she, in those days, it was, uh, you know, you, it's good to be colorblind, uh-huh. you know. Right, so right. she was like, who said that? <laughs> um, right. And, you know, she's British, and she was just like, you're, you know, you're my daughter, basically. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I, and it wasn't until later, like a lot later, that I found out he was his family's from Antigua. Like you know, there's this Caribbean thing going on, and um, and so growing up, I grew up in a white family, and most of my a lot of my friends were black, and so that's kind of where I got like mm-hmm. my window in. But I always felt like they have the black community and I don't. And there's some, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, I kind of don't have a way in, but then I don't have a way in with these white people. Cause mm-hmm. when I show up places with them, people are like, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> what are you? Right. Yeah. Right. What are you? Who are you? Um, what are you doing with these people? So I think it wasn't, it's what, it wasn't until more recently and, and mostly through like reading and history and books and, you know, encountering people as an adult who were like, you know, black folks as adults who were like, welcome. Right. And not that everyone's like that, but, people in my life saying like welcome that I was like I'm black you know like, yeah. like there was a moment where I was like I'm black right. you know like I can say that and still it's almost like I think somebody's gonna pop up and be like no you know what I mean like you're not dark enough or you're not you know right. that there's gonna be some kind of black check but this book for me was you know all the research and just in in my heart just thinking as she's moving closer to her father that I'm moving closer to and in fact as I was working on the book my father got in touch with me and I hadn't spoken to him for um uh almost 20 years and uh we started talking and you know he's a complicated person to say right. the least but he he told me a lot of stories and he has kind of felt similarly and i just felt like him coming into my life at that same time was sort of like yeah you know here's this other side of me i can celebrate this and and doing research on like the black arts movement yeah. which was the first time black folks in this country were really like we can celebrate this. Yes. I'm black and I'm proud. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So so just for, so people can get more of an understanding of how you also came home, not just to blackness, but to Delta Mississippi blackness. Mm-hmm. Like, on one hand, if I hear the beginning of that story, I'm like, oh, and then Chanel post up in the city and she connects with all of these different cosmopolitan communities in the city and she finds out who she is. You go to the Delta. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's a calling for you in the Delta. Why and how? You know, in some ways, I think it's like, um, it's kind of like part of it is like the magic when you're writing. Like, as a, as a, 
a professor of writing. Right. When you're teaching, there's a lot of like craft things you can do and give. But when you do something right and someone says, how did you do that? You can explain, but part of you is like, I don't know. Right. But you don't want to say that in like a yeah. kind of panel situation. Right. But yeah. it's like, so I think in some ways, like the Delta, it's kind of like, it's in the air, you know, that weight, that hauntedness, that, that magic that calls to you, that calls to a lot of people when they go there and they can kind of feel it in the landscape. But I think my whole life I've been drawn to stories of injustice and that felt so palpable there. And, you know, I was living in Hattiesburg. My husband was getting his uh, graduate degree and, you know, there's nothing to do there. Mm -hmm. So on weekends, I just started driving around Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go to any kind of historical places. And sometimes it worked out. Sometimes it didn't. (laughs) Hey, Vicksburg. Didn't work out. (laughs) Vicksburg didn't work out? No. Vicksburg is tough. Yeah. There was no, it was an empty city. It was like the apocalypse down there. Um, Wait, were the casinos there then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I started going to the Delta and I started reading about civil rights era cold cases and that's what lit like the fire Whoa. because I was like, there, these people there, they never got any kind of justice. Right. They still haven't gotten justice. Yeah. And in some cases, their mothers, their sisters, their uncles, their children, like they're still waiting. And not only that, like they're having to encounter witnesses and perpetrators in their town to their Mm -hmm. face every day like they don't get to know Mm -hmm. um and i just you know part of me just couldn't believe that this has just been ongoing um and so something about that called to me because i think you know it's much more in the national conversation now but the idea of like the past just uh, you know actually reading stories where people have said to these people like it's over forget about it let it go right And I was watching a video of one man who he found his father and he was a young boy. And I think he was like walking in the dark looking and his father was on the ground and he was relating how somebody was like, it's in the past. And he's, you know, an older man now. It's in the past. Just let it go. And he said, but that's my past. Yeah. Right. And and so I feel that way about like the whole legacy of, you know, Jim Crow and segregation and, you know, the current weight of different institutional racism like you know, it's not in the past, but also like thinking about the burden of injustice. Yeah. So I want to ask two questions that might seem unrelated, but one of the reasons that I feel like The Gone Dead actually works is because I feel like it is a book contending with justice. But in by the book's end, I'm still not sure what justice is for me, for the characters. And for the writer of the book, which is, I think, different than the characters, right? So I'm interested in thinking about, like, how justice looks for you in that book. But I'm also interested in the way that, like, this sort of reckoning with justice feels so organic because of, like, the physical details you choose and whether or not you feel like details are one of your superpowers as a writer. Like, you start that book with, like, you know, like, the physical mundane details of the space, like, take up a lot of my, like, I can taste the detail. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like you do so much with, like, interior detail and emotive detail. But then you also bring it, you keep bringing us back to, like, sensory detail. So I'm just wondering about how you can, what's harder for you, like, crafting a book that actually is contending with justice in this way that, you know, I think most readers will be able to talk about or, and or, just, like, the physical, tangible, detail writing in the book. What's harder for you to do? 
The physical. The physical is the hardest. Details are so hard. Wow, right? you yeah. kill details in that book, fam. I did not think you were going to say that. Yeah, because like emotional life, I think I can kind of get capture but like the actual like space like a lot of times i kind of skeleton write it really fast and then i have to go back and be like okay consciously what is happening you know in this it's space not yeah coming, it doesn't come like naturally to you not really like you know there there's probably like one paragraph where i was in the delta and i was kind of just jotting things down and it was about like passing places and not knowing whether they're abandoned or not and like a a bike being on the ground kind of looking like a candy colored insect like that and and you know like like the couch, the wet couch is just kind of sagging into the earth, yeah. you know, like those sometimes come to me when I was kind of in the space, just writing things down. But a lot of the other details, I have to go back and, and work on it. Um, and so I don't think it, it's something that comes naturally. I have to. Like the butterfly. Did, that, did you actually see the butterfly? The moth? The moth, yeah. Uh, no. Oh, you just made that up. Yeah, I think yeah. so. <laughs> I know that, I know you're never supposed to ask writers that question. No, but why not? It was so, it just, it, I was like, oh, she definitely saw that. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, I think I've seen it before, but I wanted something kind of ominous like that. Like orange, it was just like, yeah. like, love. Yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, and also like it's, um, it should be drawn to the light, but there are no lights on. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I did, I have spent some time in, in some cabins in the Delta, enough to like feel the feeling um but i think it's also like maybe it's because i come from a theater an acting background Uh uh and so having to kind of like when i work you know do you know you know arthur flowers yeah yeah so i remember he said like there's different drafts and he had different names for them and one of them is the poetry draft Mm -hmm. where you go through your book and you're just kind of like feeling the language right you know and so you know in those moments i have that but for me there's also like the, the detail, the sensory draft, the place draft. And also just in this book, I knew like if you can't – I was talking to myself. If you can't get place, you can't get this book. Like you have to – Got to get place. Yeah. So right. I had to keep going back and working on and, that. And, and the texture of the place is so integral to the understanding of what justice c- could be or can be mm-hmm. in, in that place. Mm-hmm. Right? But is, is justice a word? Like, you know, I meet a lot of writers, even in 2019, who are like, I don't want to talk about justice. You know, like, even though their books explore, because mm-hmm. I think some people think, like, justice is, like, this didactic thing that they don't want their books to feel weighed down by. Can you talk to me about, like, how important it was for the, for the book to actually explore different conceptions of, like, justice or, like, does justice thwart it for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, for me, it's central. Like, you know... I didn't make it exactly about a civil rights era case because right. the idea to me is like just because these these stories have not no longer been collected and just because people aren't being like lynched so openly doesn't mean there's not another way in which this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to make it predictable either. But I did, you know, let me think. I mean, I this idea of justice to me is like. I had to kind of try to go about it different ways. Like, at first, I had her kind of very conscious, like, maybe going there for a conscious reason, like, wanting justice. But then I thought it's kind of more interesting if it's something that comes upon her. Because Uh I also think, like, in life, you're told stories about yourself, and then later you have these realizations about, like, oh, that's why I'm so messed up. Or, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like... You know, I kind of use one example of, like, my grandmother was Irish, and she was, like, one of nine, and she had all these brothers and sisters, and sometimes she'd tell stories about them. But there was one sister named Aggie, and it was always, like, in Ireland, it was always, like, 
go and get go and get Aggie out to the river oh, before know. she throws herself in the river. Uh-huh. And then as I got older, I was like, why is Aggie always trying to throw, throw herself, herself in, in the, the river? river. Yeah. This, it was always like suicide right. attempts, you right. know what I mean? And I was like, this poor woman is suicidal and yes. like no one cares. Um, and so like different stories like that. And I think if you've always grown up with a kind of um, – Something in your genealogy, which is some kind of burden, some kind of trauma, it's only really until later that you're like, hold on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we're carrying the burden of this trauma. We're transmitting it to each other. We're not talking about it. These things are secretive, mm-hmm. and therefore they fester. Therefore they don't come to light. Um, and so I just was really seeking out as many of these different kinds of stories as I could find. And one thing is, um, you know, David Ridgen, mm-hmm. he did that podcast, mm-hmm. and he has like a Based on the um, documentary he did, um, he he and um, Thomas Moore, who's the brother of Charles Moore, who was um, murdered, along with um, uh, I think his name is D Hezekiah D. Mm-hmm. Um, he go he and the brother go back. He's an investigative journalist to their town in Mississippi, and they reinvestigate the case. And they know who did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a matter of can we right. Can we um, can we get them to confess? Can we talk to find other witnesses? And um, I was really moved by their, you know, David Ridgen is very soft spoken or kind of he seems very um, unassuming, but he just goes right up to people and asks them like the <laughs> most intense questions, right. strangers. Yeah. You know just, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And definitely like he's been chased off with a shotgun, course, like you know right. all that kind of yeah. stuff. But Thomas Moore, the brother. There, you know, he has something biblical about his voice. Uh-huh. Like he goes down to a local church and is like, "I want to get just my brother." And they all go up and they put a sign outside of the one of the perpetrators' uh, trailers right. about his brother. And you know, there's a lot of what I talk to my students about when I teach about the Delta is this idea of like there cannot be any kind of healing, any kind of resolution without a reckoning. Right. So I knew that I wanted there to be a kind of reckoning in this story, but that doesn't necessarily equal the justice that we want, yes. especially not with our system. Yes. Because I think we – I think – And I think there was definitely people who were, like, disappointed. They were like, this is not the ending I want. How um, do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, do you – because because you know what – you know what re- I mean, did you feel like you know what traditional readers might want or did you not? No. Uh, I think I thought about it afterwards i thought about it in a like theoretical way when i was doing it i was like it's we're not going to have x like it's yeah. not going to become some procedural you right. know what i mean right. Where like we're in the courthouse right. you know like that's right. just not what i'm writing um but i also thought like that's just not true it's like not true. even that's in right. the cases where there has been justice for civil rights era and there's really like three cases yeah. like it just didn't happen immediately no. and it, it took all these turns and it really only happened because that's like point. you know Someone had a change of heart. They found something accidentally. Some right. destroyed document. Um, right. White people were involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. somebody of note decided to like get involved, and so it, that's just not the way things happen. But and especially thinking now of all the cases, you know, um, since there's only been like three or four solved, what does it mean for those people to have any kind of justice, even though the perpetrators are dead? Right. What does that mean? That's what I'm always interested in. Well. One of the things that really, really bothers me is, say you have this family who they've lost somebody, they've lost, like, um, this This man has lost his brother, right? He was murdered um, by some, you know, clan members or affiliated clan members, and 
he never gets any justice in like the 60s. Well, now that family who have had like, you know, kids and grandkids and all that kind of stuff, that family very likely is still trapped in the Delta in maybe some kind of system of poverty, dealing with that trauma, Mm -hmm. knowing that like, not only did they not get justice, like this never got air, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the other family connected to the perpetrators might be doing fine. Right might be writing in the local paper, might still, the police officers, because so many were involved in the 60s, who were involved, still, you know, have a position of power, might Mm -hmm. be sheriff now. In fact, might be, they might start to be passing away, so they have, like, an obituary talking about what a good civil servant this is. You know what I mean? Like, and the people who wrote about the story or didn't write about it still own the papers. Mm -hmm. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so you're having to pass these people who, they got away with it, and their families are able to... I don't know, have pride, not have to deal with the burden of that, probably don't even know about that. Or if they do, it's like, you know, told in a very different way. Whereas the family who's still carrying the burden of injustice um, has been weighed down by that. Yeah, that's a great point. And so I just traced so many stories where that seemed to be the case. Yeah. And do you feel like, okay, how... Is it important to be a blank kind of writer for you, right? Like, do you consider yourself any kind of writer? And really, what I really want to ask—that's <laughs> yeah, like say? the setup. <laughs> what I really want to say is like, I just feel so—I feel when people talk about ask me questions about like Southern writers, mm-hmm. like I always name you, really, right? always. I mean, like, look at your work, right? Yeah, I, mean, do you, I, know. I don't know if you look at your work. I don't know how you make the argument that this is not just like you know this new, innovative deeply innovative and deeply the best of tradition no like southern writing but do you consider yourself a southern writer and is it gone dead a southern book for you i guess i don't know if i'm if i'm allowed to consider myself a southern writer Mm. being i'm not from the south but i've been in the south for a while and my obsession is with the south or one of them is and partly that is just i think because of slavery you know what i mean but also because of the the past is just more palpable yeah, in there. the air in the south uh-huh. um and the land just seems a lot more storied and maybe because there's more poverty you, they're not tearing down the buildings you know right, what i mean but like right. the, i lived in new orleans like the traces of everything are there it's mm, in the air mm. and everywhere you go there's like layer upon layer of yeah. stories you know especially in a place like new orleans because it's like it's not 2019 everywhere you go it's like a different year down right. in this corner it's 1888 you know um but i think i definitely consider the a southern book Yes. But I guess the question would be like, what if my next book is not about the South? Am I still a Southern writer? Well, because I think Southern writers, this is me trying to claim you, but because I think Southern writers can write books that aren't necessarily based geographically in the South. Mm -hmm. But I think what I would call like Southern or Southern black aesthetics can still guide explorations of, you know, Wright was born in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. But he wrote like The Outsider and things that, you know, Native Son is not necessarily... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So anyway, this is more my trying to. I just want the South. I just want everybody to claim us. We were just talking. I just want everybody who has any, any dope <laughs> person on earth. I want to claim as one of. But I, but I feel like you're being respectful by saying you don't know if you can if if that title is something you can claim just based on birth and geography, based on birth birth and bi- biography. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I I feel it. Yeah, but I don't know. You know, and I guess there's something about like. 
the sense of place and emotionality in Southern work. You know what I mean? That yeah. I feel like I connect to. Um, and it sounds like you hear, I mean, this is, okay, now it sounds like I'm being, yeah, um, very, like, monolithic of what Southern writers do, but it sounds like you listen like a Southern writer mm-hmm. listens, right? Like, I feel like, again, like the details, the voice, um, the minutia of the moments that you, like, depict in that book just sound like, feel like something that I want to believe have to come from somebody who has an absolute love of the South, even if they weren't born here and you use the word obsession what's the difference between obsession and love for you and then we'll wrap it up i mean i guess love usually is reciprocated Mm. you know and i feel like kind of like with the coming into blackness like it's just starting to be reciprocated Mm -hmm. like i didn't know it was there to Mm. ask wow you know what i mean yeah um and so obsession is pretty one-sided, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just you're kind of fueling all your energy. But I think writing this book, it, it, especially because I am kind of like the stranger become, comes home, mm-hmm. the outsider, right. that it asked me to sit and listen. Because at first, you know, all the villains in the book were like, you know, twiddling their southern mustache. Right, you know right, I mean? right, right. But then I was like, you know, no one's going to be like, no, you can't come in. They're going to be like, no, come on in. Yes, you know, sit I down, have that. some sweet tea. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. at the same time, you know, it's like... When the door is closed, it's like, what does she know? You right. know what I mean? Right. But also, and that's part of, like, why I wanted to include all the other voices, which took me a while, because it's like, this is not just her story. Right. This is a community story. This is a town story. Um, and it's a lot more complicated. And I think, to get dark, that one of the things I really learned about, like, Emmett Till is, like, that story is always told as there was these two kind of evil white mm-hmm, men, mm-hmm. and they did this horrible thing, and, you know, eventually, you know, they they got away with it, but then it, you know, it, it caught up with them. Yeah. Um, or that's part of the story that's told. But if you actually look at, like, the FBI documents or just do more research, there's so many more people involved. So many more. In the torture and, and killing of Emmett, but also people involved, like different black field hands that were coerced into being involved other witnesses that saw them moving the body like people that heard things like the other boys in the room like it's a community it was a community Mm -hmm. lynching a community murder and that's to me what makes it a lynching Mm -hmm. um but i think most of the time when there's some kind of injustice it's never just some evil person twiddling their mustache there's so many other people enabling it and they are just as important and so i think it wasn't until that moment where I was like, no, other people make this happen and other people are affected. Right. It's not just like the hero and the villain. Yeah. And those voices seem to have something so like familiar. Like there's something familiar in all the voices in that book, but they're so distinct. And I feel like those distinct registers bring like a lot of texture um, to the world, to the book, to the writing. Um, and of course, there's a book where people are going to read and be like, what is it saying about Chanel? Do you know what <laughs> I, mean? I mean, do you get that a lot? Is, it, is this about you? Not too much. Mm -hmm. I think because people see me and hear me and they think, like, there's no way she's, like, you know Uh what I mean, necessarily from the South. Okay. But, I mean, some people might – haven't really asked me too much about Billy. I think because they have such specific questions about, like, what are you saying with this book Uh rather than getting into kind of the personal. Um, Because in some ways, like, it was a very personal journey. Right. But in other ways, like, it was so far from me that I really had to sit and listen. Right. I love that. Um. All right, so I just want to say thank you for making no, time thank you. to talk about this book. And just more than that, like, thank you for um, putting a different kind of book in the world that's going to dictate the way I write, dictate the way my students write, dictate the way I think people all over the world, particularly I think Southerners write about home. 
um, from now on. And I love the idea of like a stranger coming home, right? I think that that complicates all of it. Um, so thank you, Chanel, so much, and thank you. I appreciate y'all giving us time. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.